Chapter fifty five of Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius. Book one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mirendo O seven. Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius. Book one by Niccolo Machiavelli. Translated by Ninian Hill Thompson. Chapter fifty five that government is easily carried on in a city wherein the body of the people is not corrupted and that a princedom is impossible where equality prevails and a republic where it does not though what we have to fear or hope from cities that have grown corrupted has already been discussed still i think it not out of place to notice a resolution passed by the senate touching the vow which camius made to apollo of a tenth of the spoil taken from the Veientines for this spoil having fallen into the hands of the people the senate being unable by other means to get any account of it passed an edict that every man should publicly offer one-tenth part of what he had taken and although this edict was not carried out from the senate having afterwards followed a different course whereby to the content of the people the claim of apollo was otherwise satisfied we nevertheless see from their having entertained such a proposal how completely the senate trusted to the honesty of the people when they assumed that no one would withhold any part of what the edict commanded him to give on the other hand we see that it never occurred to the people that they might evade the law by giving less than was due their only thought being to free themselves from the law by openly manifesting their displeasure this example together with many others already noticed shows how much virtue and how profound a feeling of religion prevailed among the roman people and how much good was to be expected from them and in truth in the country where virtue like this does not exist no good can be looked for as we should look for it in vain in provinces which at the present day are seen to be corrupted as italy is beyond all others though in some degree france and spain are similarly tainted in which last two countries if we see not so many disorders spring up as we see daily springing up in italy this is not so much due to the superior virtue of their inhabitants who to say truth fall far short of our countrymen as to their being governed by a king who keeps them united not merely by his personal qualities but also by the laws and ordinances of the realm which are still maintained with vigour in germany however we do see signal excellence and a devout religious spirit prevail among the people giving rise to the many free states which there maintain themselves with such strict observance of their laws that none either within or without their walls dare encroach on them that among this last-named people a great share of the ancient excellence does in truth still flourish i shall show by an example similar to that which i have above related of the senate and people of rome it is customary with the german free states when they have to expend any large sum of money on the public account for their magistrates or councils having authority given them in that behalf to impose a rate of one or two in the hundred on every man's estate which rate being fixed every man in conformity with the laws of the city presents himself before the collectors of the impost and having first made oath to pay the amount justly due throws into a chest provided for the purpose what he conscientiously believes it fair for him to pay of which payment none is witness save himself from this fact it may be gathered what honesty and religion still prevail among this people 
for we must assume that each pays his just share, since otherwise the impost would not yield the sum which, with reference to former imposts, it was estimated to yield, whereby the fraud would be detected, and thereupon some other method for raising money have to be resorted to. At the present time, this virtue is the more to be admired, because it seems to have survived in this province only. That it has survived there may be ascribed to two circumstances. First, that the natives have little communication with their neighbours, neither visiting them in their countries nor being visited by them, being content to use such commodities and subsist on such food and to wear garments of such materials as their own land supplies, so that all occasion for intercourse and every cause of corruption is removed. For living after this fashion, they have not learned the manners of the French, the Italians or the Spaniards, which three nations together are the corruption of the world. The second cause is that these republics in which a free and pure government is maintained will not suffer any of their citizens either to be or to live as gentlemen, but on the contrary, while preserving a strict equality among themselves, are bitterly hostile to all those gentlemen and lords who dwell in their neighbourhood, so that if by chance any of these fall into their hands, they put them to death as the chief promoters of corruption and the origin of all disorders. But to make plain what I mean when I speak of gentlemen, I say that those are so to be styled who live in opulence and idleness on the revenues of their estates, without concerning themselves with the cultivation of these estates, or incurring any other fatigue for their support. Such persons are very mischievous in every republic or country, but even more mischievous are they who, besides the estates I have spoken of, are lords of strongholds and castles, and have vassals and retainers who render them obedience. Of these two classes of men, the kingdom of Naples, the country round Rome, Romania and Lombardy are full, and hence it happens that in these provinces no commonwealth or free form of government has ever existed, because men of this sort are the sworn foes to all free institutions. And since to plant a commonwealth in provinces which are in this condition were impossible, if these are to be reformed at all, it can only be by some one man who is able there to establish a kingdom, the reason being that when the body of the people is grown so corrupted that the laws are powerless to control it, there must in addition to the laws be introduced a stronger force, to wit, the regal, which by its absolute and unrestricted authority may curb the excessive ambition and corruption of the great. This opinion may be supported by the example of Tuscany, in which within a narrow compass of territory there have long existed the three republics of Florence, Lucca and Siena, while the other cities of that province, although to a certain extent dependent, still show by their spirit and by their institutions that they preserve, or at any rate desire to preserve their freedom, and this because there are in Tuscany no lords possessed of strongholds and few or no gentlemen. But so complete an equality prevails that a prudent statesman, well acquainted with the history of the free states of antiquity, might easily introduce free institutions. Such, however, has been the unhappiness of this our country that, up to the present hour, it has never produced any man with the power and knowledge which would have enabled him to act in this way. From what has been said, it follows that he who would found a commonwealth in a country wherein there are many gentlemen, cannot do so unless he first gets rid of them, 
and that he who would found a monarchy or princedom in a country wherein great equality prevails will never succeed unless he raise above the level of that equality many persons of a restless and ambitious temperament whom he must make gentlemen not in name merely but in reality by conferring on them castles and lands supplying them with riches and providing them with retainers that with these gentlemen around him and with their help he may maintain his power while they through him may gratify their ambition, all others being constrained to endure a yoke, which force and force alone imposes on them. For when in this way there comes to be a proportion between him who uses force and him against whom it is used, each stands fixed in his own station. But to found a commonwealth in a country suited for a kingdom, or a kingdom in a country suited to be a commonwealth, requires so rare a combination of intelligence and power that though many engage in the attempt few are found to succeed for the greatness of the undertaking quickly daunts them and so obstructs their advance they break down at the very outset the case of the venetian republic wherein none save gentlemen are permitted to hold any public office does doubtless seem opposed to this opinion of mine that where there are gentlemen it is impossible to found a commonwealth but it may be answered that the case of venice is not in truth an instance to the contrary since the gentlemen of venice are gentlemen rather in name than in reality inasmuch as they draw no great revenues from their lands their wealth consisting chiefly in merchandise and chattels and not one of them possessing a castle or enjoying any feudal authority for in venice this name of gentleman is a title of honour and dignity and does not depend on any of those circumstances in respect of which the name is given in other states but as in other states the different ranks and classes are divided under different names so in venice we have the division into gentlemen or gentiluomini and plebeians or popolani it being understood that the former hold or have the right to hold all situations of honour from which the latter are entirely excluded and in venice this occasions no disturbance for reasons which i have already explained let a commonwealth then be constituted in the country where a great equality is found or has been made and conversely let a princedom be constituted where great inequality prevails otherwise what is constituted will be discordant in itself and without stability End of chapter fifty five